Hi, I'm Len, your host of Targeted Justice v. Garland, a podcast about an extraordinary lawsuit. Good to see you all. I hope this episode finds you in good spirit because I'm not really in good spirit. I'm mad as hell, and later you will see why. And also, I want you to know that we all go through the same torture as you do. And nevertheless, every Sunday, we come here and smile. Because if we can smile, if we can give you a dose of optimism, who will? So no matter what, keep smiling and keep fighting. You are watching episode 36. And if you're wondering why last Sunday we released episode 34, it's because a bonus episode was released during the week. You won't find this full episode on YouTube, only a short video announcement. Due to its controversial content, it had to be released on Rumble. But you can still go to YouTube and get the link from the description of the video. It's called, Do You Have a Wireless Intrabody Network? Question mark. In this episode, Matt Taylor, and I hope you know who Matt Taylor is, and if you don't, you will find out. In this episode, Matt Taylor and I talk about nanotechnology and Mac address a meeting phenomenon and how they're connecting, including its significance for targeted individuals. I do not recommend skipping it. It contains the seed from which the technological part of our worldwide liberation will grow. Are you intrigued? Good. You will also be shocked. And I guarantee a few sleepless nights for the normies who need to watch it the most. So that's that. As the name of our podcast suggests, we are legal nerds obsessed with all things targeted justice v. Garland. To feed our healthy obsession with me today, Somebody who doesn't require an introduction, only our collective adoration, a skillful attorney, and a phenomenal human being, Anna Toledo. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Len. Um, along what you say, I want to say to people, this is my highlight of the week because the best way to make yourself happy is to try to make others happy, is to try to help others. And that's why this is such a special um, time of the week for me. And, and I thank you so much for making it possible and being there every week, rain or shine. Those are the true words. Before we start our legal segment, I want to address certain unhealthy comments we encountered on Twitter and other platforms recently. Anna, I'm going to talk like you're not here because these comments are truly beneath your time, credibility, effort, and everything else. I even struggle with the idea whether we even need to engage with arguments like this. In a nutshell, there are actors who wish to accuse Anna that the escalation in their targeting is a result of her legal activity. Think about it for a second. This is a form of emotional blackmail. 
It's based on a faulty assumption that the reason for the escalation of the attacks lies with people who are fighting these attacks using legal means and not with the people carrying out these attacks. What a nonsense. I reject this framework and this type of reasoning entirely. The only people responsible for the escalation of your attacks are those who enable these attacks, period. So if you see this kind of comments being made on social media, please save us some time and engage accordingly because we simply won't. Yeah, that's enough about that. Now to the legal segment. Choo, choo, we have a lot, <laughs> a lot to talk about. Our legal segment today will knock your socks off. Look, we've been waiting for the legal brief from the defendants for almost two months now. What else could have possibly go wrong after all this time? And yet we're finding more ways of how our lawsuit was butchered without a sliver of discomfort on the part of the district court judge and the defendants for the government. Anna, please tell us what monstrosity you have discovered this week. And then I will put up my slides and we'll have a conversation, please. Yeah, well, fortunately, the staff at the court were in, they're very polite and very efficient. But you see, I had this gut feeling that, that every week I'm calling him, is everything okay? Is there anything I have to do? Because because I just had this very strange feeling. And the, the truth is that in at the district court level, normally when a case is docketed, they put the name of the defendants when, they, when it's public officials like these in their official capacity or in their official and individual capacity as we have sued them. But in this case, the government in the Fifth Circuit asked for an extension of time, but it was only the the government, which is the FBI, DHS, and the official capacity defendants. So the individual capacity defendants, who are the same people, but in their individual capacity as a civil rights lawsuit, right, for the violation of the civil and human rights of the plaintiffs. Well, they had not made an appearance. And I, so I asked, I called to ask because it's, it just, it, there was something just wrong about it. And so the clerk explained to me that they were under the impression that it was only official capacity finance. And it seems that it was that the district court relayed the information that way. So they didn't realize that they were also in their individual capacities. When she checked lawsuit and realized that they were both sued in their individual and official capacity, well, I made a motion saying to be correct, to be corrected. Because, you know, all along, they were not going to reply, it seems, because of a clerical mistake. And you see, clerical mistakes don't create rights. And it's uh, it's yet another situation where attorneys for the defendants are not, I guess they they were relying on a clerical mistake to not have to answer on the individual capacity defendants. Anyway, so that got corrected. I filed a motion and they confirmed that they have to reply by the same date that the official capacity defendants have to reply, which is November 6. So that was very good that I did that because I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't done that. I just have to say that I have never been in my 30 years as an attorney I haven't been subjected to this, you know, not, I, I believe in fair play. You know, I believe in that the, your adversary 
placed by the rules. And, and I think that this is a deviation from that, but we will address it with the court in due time. I have to start from the very start. We filed a complaint on January 11th, January 12th, just the corrected version, but it's the same complaint. And I broke it down so you can see that it's from target justice and 17 plaintiffs later it was it included another plaintiff so now it's 18 versus this one two three four five six seven defendants and two of them are official capacity defendants and those are the department of homeland security and federal bureau of investigation and then on the right you see the individual capacity defendant mary garland Christopher Ray, Charles Cable, Alejandro Mayorkas, and Kent Weinstein. So what happened next is on March 12th, which is the docket number 41, there was a motion to dismiss our complaint, our entire lawsuit, by the official capacity defendant. So those are, those are defendants just for these organizations, for the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. So that's March 12th. And then on May 30th, there was another motion to dismiss. And this time it was from a different attorney for these one, two, three, four, five individuals for the individual capacity defendants. And that's how it's supposed to be, I understand. You can't have the same defendants for the individual capacity defendants and for the official capacity defense. Am I correct, Anna? Yes, you're correct because that's why they had two sets of attorneys for the individual and the official. And even the same attorney for all of them, it's a little complicated because they all have different degrees of liability in terms of um, you know what goes on with the program and, and with the most important claim, which is that innocent people are being placed improperly and illegally in the terrorist screening database. So yes, you are correct. And I have to add to that, that by January 31st, Cable was no longer the director of the terrorist screening center. So every time the Department of Justice submitted a document on behalf of the official capacity defendants, they were not informing as they have with their duty of candor to the court that one of the official capacity defendants was no longer there. They had to do that. And when in June, Mr. Glashin got in to be the director, they had to also inform it and they didn't do that either. So that's in terms of official capacity, they were supposed to inform that Cable wasn't there anymore and inform that Mr. Glashin has substituted and none of those two happened. So even what we're looking at right now, this motion dated May 30th, it already contains wrong information that they knew that Cable was no longer in this capacity and yet they still found motion to dismiss as he wore. Yes, it's called a Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 11. And it states that when you put your signature in a document, you are telling the court that to the best of your information, all the information you put there is correct. 
And that is a rule that we all attorneys have to adhere to strictly because we are officers of the court. We have to play fair. We have to tell the truth to the court so that the court has the most accurate facts before it in order to adjudicate matters. So yeah, rule 11 says that an attorney that puts their signature in a document is certifying that its contents are true and accurate. That should be very alarming to the attorney who filed and signed this untrue document. That is a direct liability. So exactly six months later, and I don't know, I ask you, is there any significance to this? Because we file on January 11th, and exactly six months on July 11th, we received memorandum and order by district judge to dismiss the case. And it lists both of those motions that we previously listed, motion number 41 for the official capacity defendants and motion number 60 for the individual capacity defendants. So are there any caveats that are missing here? Well, the the six the exact six months may be very curious. I don't know if it's because of court statistics that they have, you know, statistics in terms of the movement of cases, et cetera. Perhaps if you're going to dismiss a case, it should be within, you know, for failure to state a claim, it should be within six months. Or I mean, I don't know, because I'm not in the federal system. Uh, regarding this, what I have to say is that even though the court granted these motions to dismiss, it didn't say, and so therefore we deny dockets so-and-so, which were the ones where I opposed uh, those motions. So that's why I, I, you know, when I did the, the my motions are not mentioned and were argued uh, in the in the decision. So in the notice of appeal, I said, since they're not mentioned in the decision, well, I am hereby including them as part of the appeal, you know, dockets X and Y, which are my oppositions. Now that I see, you know, in hindsight, since they weren't discussed there, well, maybe they were not going to be part of, you know, of the appeal or something. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I just had to play it safe. And that's, and because uh, it just shocked me that there was no discussion of the arguments that we brought forth in in the in the court's decision. There is no discussion of the arguments that we raised in opposition to the motions to dismiss. At least, for example, the most important one, which is there is no legal reason to have innocent people names comprising ninety seven percent of the identities in the terrorist screening database as per their own uncontroverted documents. So, but, you know, we just played it safe and I'm just glad that they're going to have to file their, the individual capacity defendants also have to fly, file the reply by November 6th. Okay. Let's move chronologically. So July 11th, dismissal, came about and look on the very next day, attorney for plaintiff, San Toledo, filed a notice of appeal to docket number 76, filed on the very next day. So no days off for Anna Toledo. She 
follow them, you follow the motion of appeal, and it mentions both official capacity defendants and individual capacity defendants. And that was the last document filed by the plaintiff's attorney in the Houston District Court. So your job was done. And bam, when the district court in Houston transferred the case to the Fifth Circuit, the Court of Appeals, the phrase in the official and individual capacity was eliminated from the caption of the case. This is the crux of the issue. This is what we're talking about. This is what broke the camel's back. And I, this is what made me mad as hell. I'm sorry, but this is unacceptable. And I, I know you, you want to say something. Yeah, well, here's what happened. I looked at other cases in that, that these same defendants have been sued. In the district court, in our case, it only stated Christopher Ray, Alejandro Mayorkas, Mary Garland, and it did not state in the caption, in the docket, it did not state in their official capacity or in their individual capacity. It didn't say it at all. So when I looked at other cases where they are sued, they also always specify in, a, in italics, in their official capacity or in their official and individual capacity. So what stands out from our case at the district court level is that it wasn't specified. I didn't think any of it because since it was in both capacities, I figured, well, they don't have to specify. It's only in the official capacity because it's in both capacities, right? So when this all of this happened, I went to look at other cases. And that's where I realized that our docket at the district court was different from other cases with similar defendants because it didn't specify both the official and individual capacity, which as a matter of process now, I know that it should have. But since the complaint clearly stated that they were being sued both in official and individual capacity, and the complaint is what rules, you know, what controls. So that's why, you know, we were covered. But certainly our caption, it's not that it was eliminated, it's that it was never there contrary to other cases where they put in their official capacity and their individual capacity. So that's why when, when it was transferred to, to the Fifth Circuit, they didn't have that. They omitted it. Eliminated, omitted. They omitted it from the get-go. It wasn't like when it was sent, it was deleted. No, from the beginning, it didn't appear in the docket. That is different to other cases i don't know you know it was a mistake when the case was i guess transferred from victoria to houston because in victoria it did have the information i believe so it was when it was sent to the fifth circuit it was sent as it was it's not that they erased it it's as they had it in the in the district court i see let's see what happened next you filed a motion requesting clerical correction. It's a docket number 32 in the Fifth uh, Circuit in the Court of Appeals. And you say, both the docket and the record on appeal sent to this court 
uh, the fifth uh, the court of appeals names all defendants but failed to specify that all of them were sued in their official and individual capacity the district court entirely omitted from the docket text the word says specifying that all defendants were sued both in their individual and official capacity and that the district court deviated from procedural norms in an unexpected and unwarranted way. Very well said, very well argued. And as a result, on the very next day, uh, so you filed it on October 23rd, on October 24th, that caption was corrected. So, seems like everything is okay. However, I do have the following questions. What does it mean to the November 6th deadline? Well, I that's I called the court and asked, and they said that that's a deadline. So whether they file it or not, it's up to them. But they have an obligation to file it if they want to be heard. And they have an opportunity to file, to be heard. But if they don't file it, it's their choice. But they have, it's because I asked about that, if, if, the correction would in any way affect the deadlines. And they explained to me, no, it's the same deadline. It's November 6th. Thank you. Next question is, do attorneys for the defendants, and we discussed it a little bit, do attorneys for the defendants have a conflict of interest representing defendants in both official and individual capacity? I saw the roster and I noticed that the same name is listed for individual and official capacity. And then then there's some different names. Is that acceptable? The district court level, they had different attorneys. So I don't know if they're going to announce a new attorney. But I can tell you that there are, like I have said before, there are different levels of liability here among the defendants. The conflict of interest is a determination for a court to make. But I certainly would not accept to defend any of these two people simultaneously if it was me, because that's just how I am. But that's for a court to eventually, you know, determine. Because, like I said, our main claim here is the illegal activity going on at, in the FBI and by the terrorist screening director and by the FBI director placing people on this list. The rest comes from it. So I, I I wouldn't do it. That's how I can answer that. <laughs> I like that. I wouldn't do it. Heather, <laughs> you crack me up today. So my next question, which is good. We need a good laugh. My question that I just had to, to ask, how could this blatant omission and deviation from procedural norms when this whole phrase was omitted, how could it happen under the watch of a judge who's been at the bench since 1992? A lot of judicial experience. So clerical or not clerical, this is under uh, Judge Rosenthal's uh, judicial watch. How is it possible? Well, what, one of the things that we have brought before the Fifth Circuit is that from the get-go, plaintiffs have encountered situations where it's they're not common, for example, to have a motion for discovery 
not adjudicated in three months and it's adjudicated as moot when the case is dismissed, that is not common. The transfer of the case without uh, any party asking for it, when the defendant said, acknowledged it was appropriately filed in the Victoria Division, that's another thing that, you know, courts have said that the venue chosen by plaintiffs should be respected. And, and that didn't happen here either. So there's there's a, a, a huge list of things that, that I wrote in the brief that I, I'd never encountered them before. Let's put it that way. One motion to for leave to file the second amended complaint, it was unopposed because defendants didn't oppose it. They sent me a message, an email uh, agreeing to it. And uh, even though it was an like unopposed motions are granted pretty much immediately by the court. It took two weeks, around two weeks, uh, and only because I called the court and I said, well, why hasn't this been granted? And then it was granted the next day. So th there's just a lot of things that I, I don't want to think, you know, anything wrong about it. I'm just saying a, w there's been a lot of events that are that deviate from what I am used to seeing in terms of the effectiveness that goes on, particularly in federal courts, because state courts tend to be less strict about things sometimes than federal courts that are, they're very, everything is just extremely by the book. But fortunately, everything has been fixed and, and we're going to, and, and I know that we are in a, in a safe turf to get a fair, a fair adjudication of our claims. If I may make an observation, and this is mostly not for you, for our listeners, what I I'm watching Anna responding, and I'm watching the hesitation, and mostly I've seen a woman in shock, a professional, completely shocked by the lack of following the rules, following the basic the rules of jurisprudence, basic rules of law. Anna looks in shock, don't you think? And Anna, my heart goes out to you because you are professional. You're an attorney who has made a name for yourself. You want a huge environmental case. You are the professional. You're a professional with a capital P. And I seen you completely in shock and decimated by just the pure lack of fairness. First of all, I, as you know, I have to be very uh, careful with my expressions because I have to honor the the court that I am a member of. And so I have to be very, very, very careful with that. And the second thing I have to tell you, uh, I, um, when I was, and I'm going to deviate a little bit from 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 this. Is when I was in Puerto Rico before I knew I was a targeted individual, but I knew horrible things were happening to me. This woman in the court, you know, like these paralegals that they're always in the like jury uh, hall of juries, that uh, they're always there. They know all the gossip going on there. She came up to me, a woman I'd never seen before, and she said to me, "They have tried to disbar you so many times." But they've been they've been unable to because you're too much of an honest woman, and and that shocked me because I, first of all I didn't even know who this lady was, and second of all then I started lo looking in hindsight it's like you know so many times people tried to to take away from me and I and I can tell you 
with much pride that I have never lied to a court, for example. Before I had to, if I had to lie to a judge on behalf of a client, I would withdraw from his representation. I would never do that. And so I, I because I believe in justice, because I believe courts, and this might be corny, sound corny, but I really did study law to help the underdog, to do justice, to make justice happen. And, and when I see that that's not what other people have in mind, that shocks me because I would never like to afford, you know, that's why when uh, I hear these are fantastical claims and these are uh, bizarre and, you know, it hurts me at a personal level because I would never sign a document containing false facts. And I'm very proud of that. That's why they were unable to hurt me professionally because I have always acted with integrity. And that's what I'm trying to do here. So, you know, you excuse me today if I am very uh, restrained in my words because I have to be. I understand that. And you explain it beautifully and perfectly. And I understand uh, what's going on. My last question is mostly rhetorical. It refers to our past podcast episodes. How could a judge with such a vast experience make 22 factual and misleading statements in just single order? And you don't have to answer because this is truly a rhetorical question. I suggest that we move forward. That's it. For today's legal segment, we just walking through traps and tricks, like Anna said. And uh, if you're ready for the next segment, Anna, uh, let's go for it. Yeah, yeah, I am. I wanted to add, though, regarding the forms, I, I wanted to say thank you to everybody that has been submitting the registration that I, I have explained. Our goal is to examine uh, the TSCB and check if your name is there. Because that's a match between, you know, being targeted and being in the TSAB without meeting the reasonable suspicion criteria. However, I do have to emphasize that even though I wrote it very clearly in English and Spanish, it is not a registration to be a plaintiff in the case. I'm only, I'm a solo practitioner. I don't have the resources to have a thousand clients. So uh, what I, I made it very clear and, and what I Perhaps, you know, I, I want people to get it that if once you have confirmation that you were in the TSCB and you shouldn't have been there, attorneys will come out of the woodwork to represent you. OK, it is my hope that once I we get to see the unredacted list, we will get the accurate of information for every person that registered regarding when you know, all the information of how they were, how they were put in that list. So it is not that I am amending the complaint. And for anybody that writes to me saying that I am registering for the lawsuit, I am going to reply and say, I will not accept your form because that's not what it's for. So please be very careful with that. Um, also, I only have six children. I know there's a lot of children that are targeted. Uh, the criminal hackers are interfering with those forms. I'm going to be calling, I know at least one, uh, one from Ohio that has uh, a child that is targeted and, uh, and his form came through 
but the daughters didn't come through. So I'm going to be calling him. So if you do are registering a child, when you send me that email, put in registration confirmation, put child reg registering child. So I am more in the lookout for two or three registries under that same email. Okay. Um, and uh, also, I just want to mention real quickly that there, there's other uh, lawsuits and groups going on. And, you know, I, I am I am for everybody petitioning for redress of grievances. I'm just asking TIs to be really careful to don't, you know, people will pay any money they have and even that that they don't have to make this end. But please be very careful when dispersing money to to groups that you that just recently formed you don't know about and uh, or that you know just because just because um targeted individuals are in such a difficult financial situation usually because they take everything from us they are they overbill our water they overbill our electricity they break our cars so we have to spend in mechanic i mean i don't have to preach to the choir because you all know what it is so just be very um very careful with your with your money because because you know it's important it's important to me even if i don't know you um uh also that um this week there was an unfortunate thing uh, event do not open the door to the any police unless they have a warrant. If they have a warrant, you open the door because they're going to break it down. If they don't have a warrant, you don't have to talk to the police. And this is, you know, I'm just saying this as stating your constitutional rights. You have a right to remain silent and to not talk to the police unless, unless they have a warrant, then you have to go with them. And even then, you don't have to talk to them without having an attorney consult an attorney so please don't just open the door to anyone uh grannies also children and grannies the, the criminals are blocking children and, and grandmas uh, and i just want to assure everybody it might take me two or three days to answer to reply to you yeah i got your information because it is only me who has access to this uh, forms it's coming to my email that i created for this and only i do it manually so uh, it, it might take me two or three days to to send you the confirmation email that i got your information or that i didn't get it to please send it again so just be very certain that i i am giving you my word that it is only me handling the information in a confidential way so that's it sorry for taking so much time but i had to make all of those clarifications Anna, please take all the time you need uh, because this information is extremely important to all targeted individuals. I guarantee they are listening to every word that is coming out of your mouth because you provide much needed and very useful information. So, no, uh, please, <laughs> please don't apologize for taking much time. This is a show about our legal legal case and everything surrounding it, and you are right on the topic. So let's move on and talk about something awful, terrible, and irreversible that happened this week. We know that the shooter is dead, 
these are some of the articles that I just pulled last night, uh, Los, Los Angeles Times. Uh, main mass shooter heard voices, may have embraced conspiracy theories, officials say. The gunman accused of killing 18 people in Maine reported mental health issues, including that he may have been hearing voices and believed people were talking about him. Police have still not declared a motive in the case, but the Maine Public Safety Commissioner said the gunman, Robert Card, showed signs of mental illness. Gunman in Maine mass shooting had paranoid beliefs officials said they reported that people were talking about him and he may have been hearing voices card recently began wearing powerful hearing aids and insisted to family members that he could hear people speaking poorly about him card would get mad when other members of his family would tell him the voices he was hearing were just in his head. And ultimately, he was sent to a mental health facility for a week this past summer. Sounds familiar to us target individuals. I was thinking about listing all the cases of mass shooters that, that, were, that were complaining about V2K, but so many people have done it before me and another hundred will do it after me. Well, um, the first thing about the not declare uh, a declared motive, I think that um, there have been the, her testimony saying that he heard people mocking him and talking about him. Okay. The, first of all, he had started, it seems, hearing the voices this past summer. And in July, it was that he was placed in a mental institution. I had read two weeks, not one week. That what this proves is, as we have always said, voice to skull is not a mental illness and it cannot be cured with antipsychotic medicine because it's not. It's it's torture. And I think that uh, this is a they are using mass shooters manipulating them uh, they are targeted individuals and they're manipulating them to go along the anti-second amendment narrative and to de-arm de you know de-weaponize everybody he could take their weapons away their arms he th that woman said that the voices were mocking him he was 40 years old as you know and and the dsm recognizes the age to get schizophrenia and start hearing the voices is in the 20s not when you're 40. He he just matches the 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 profile of, of a targeted individual that has been hearing voices through voice to skull. And what what is really eerie and frustrating and criminal is that the people that are doing the voice to skull on him are also doing RM on him. And they knew that he was going to carry out, they set him up, they pushed him into these crimes, they knew he was gonna commit these crimes. And they didn't stop it. So you have to wonder who is really to blame. I'm not saying he's not he he was innocent. I'm just saying who is really to blame? Because he had a normal, perfect life until age 39. And then boom, he starts hearing voices telling him to take down the place where he used to be a, an instructor, an arms instructor, to attack it, and and from here hearing people uh, mocking him. So um, I think that uh, the people have to wake up and realize it's not like I mentioned to you earlier before we start, you know, there's this Twitter uh, 
influencer or whatever you want to call him saying that massive mental institutions have to be built to put pe these people in it. No, this is not a mental illness. This is torture carried out by government criminals using American taxpayer dollar, and it's got to stop. Uh, I have to mention, some reports are saying he had two shots. He he was found with two shots, that like self-inflicted wounds. This man was a, not one shot, an arms professional. He would have done it with just one shot. So that sounds a little weird. I mean, I, I don't know. The circumstances they found him and everything is just like weird because it had been in that recycling facility that they had already come through it. And then all of a sudden, oh, there were other places we didn't look at. And that's where we found him. Sounds a little strange to me, the whole, the whole thing. One thing which is really important regarding the voices he was hearing I think that probably the places he chose to go kill people is because the voices he heard, he thought were belonged to people that were there. Richard emphasized for me to tell people and remind people about this, the, the program Adobe Voco. And then there's other programs that have been made afterwards with a three minute sample, let's say of my voice, they can do voice to call on people with my voice, with your voice, Len. And so people actually think that it's us or it's those victims at that bowling alley or or at that bar, whatever, you know? So do not befriend your voice. Just call. They are criminals. Don't believe them. Don't pay attention to them. They're only there to set you up and to torment you and to torture you. It's like, you know, when... I, one of the reasons I never I never took drugs in my life is because am I going to trust my brain to a criminal that is mixing these drugs up? No. Well, the same with a V2K. Are you going to trust your actions to criminals that are torturing you every day? Just get yourself the shocks, earphones, just do something. But don't listen to those criminals because they are traitors to this nation that are torturing you from a desk thinking they're playing PlayStation, but with real human victims. Now I will play something that my friend Don Prosser sent to me. He's a big fan of this YouTuber. Uh, his channel is called Black Scout Survival. And he is one of the veterans, one of the survivalists. And he commented on this recent mass shooting. And we're going to play what he had to say about this case. Let's let's talk about the situation. Let's talk about Robert. There's some there's some odd things involved in this uh, whole situation, and not just involving him, but but other things surrounding it that I think it very that's very unusual. So, if you don't recall, he. He's a veteran, 20 years military army uh, reserves. Obviously, he's received a lot of training in the military. And he probably has more training than most of the police officers that are looking for him. And, you know, we don't know what type of training or schools he had in the military. He was also he's also apparently a, a outdoorsman. So avid outdoorsman, which obviously inherent uh, amount of skills that comes along with that. 
maybe he received, you know, various tactical training, escape and evasion skills. Robert Card, trained firearm instructor. He was Army Reserve stationed out of Seiko, Maine. Now, law enforcement states that he recently reported mental health issues, including hearing voices and made threats to shoot up the National Guard base in Seiko. He had been committed to a mental health facility for two weeks in the summer of 2023. Now, I would call this uh, pretty, should have been alarming to people around him. Voices. Now, this is someone who previously until late in life had mental issues. He he was he was never served in combat, so he can't claim they can't claim that it was combat related PTSD. Obviously, serving 20 plus years in the military, he didn't show any signs of being lunatic around anybody else. Right? No one else thought in his 20 plus years of military service to kick him out for being a, a lunatic until now. He started hearing voices. So, you know, I, I go back to to this MK Ultra, and I'm not saying that's what this is. But every time there's one of these shooters, there's so many oddities surrounding them. They're always known to the FBI for some reason. They're always been on their list, but they never stopped them because they're going after moms at freaking PTA meetings. They're going after uh, Delta Force veterans like Larry Vickers, the kid at CRS Firearms YouTube channel. They're going after the kid that posted a meme about Hillary Clinton and is now serving, what, seven years in prison? That's what they're going after. But Robert Card had obviously a record of mental illness for the past couple of years and voices. So I, I think it's time to ask some questions. Now, MK Ultra is an old project. Okay, what's what was the MK Ultra inside the CIA's mind control program? This is not something that is fake. This is something that really happened. It was an illegal human experimentation program designed and undertaken by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. Now, they say at the start of the article here, it's a gold mine for conspiracy theorists, and may hold dubious honor of the being source conspiracy theories that end up being true. But again, I'm not I'm not saying this this cat here is MK Ultra, but I do think you gotta ask some questions. That's the comment from uh, this YouTuber. And he's he's not clearly not aware of the targeted targeting program, but my friend Don is, and he sent me this clip. So clearly what we're doing is working. More people especially veterans who are also subject to this uh, inhumane program. They're waking up. They're asking questions. Voices, MKUltra, shooting. There's, it's not a coincidence. It doesn't smell right. And that's why I put together my next slide. Because this is my, what I call, lens idealistic take. This is what I would suggest. When someone starts complaining about hearing voices, if somebody confided to you in hearing voices, go with him or her to a psychiatrist and demand to differentiate between a mental disorder and V2K. Obviously, Robert Card went to a psychiatrist 
They put him into a mental institution. They gave him antipsychotic medicine and didn't work. So why would you do that? Because you are informed and you know that V2K is real because you're familiar which population is prone to delusional disorder. It's not a 40-year-old rubber card and not 54-year-old land bear. Because people with mental type disorders usually keep it to themselves. But the V2K victims, they they go to their support system. They say, I'm hearing voices. Uh, they confide into uh, other people. And if you don't know, if you never heard of V2K, you will say, oh, it's just a mental disorder. But this is instead, this is what you should be doing. And because you know that mental hallucination, auditory hallucination can be medicated, but V2K cannot. Uh, because V2K program run typical scripts. If you ask like, what are they saying? And they say in derogatory things, well, this is a typical V2K script. And, and, and I can name you a dozen other reasons. The main reason would be, of course, documenting the radio frequency. But this is not my expertise, and I'm not going to touch that subject. But ultimately, the ultimate proof would be correlating hearing voices with um, registering radio signals. And if the psychiatrist who you went to is unable to make this differential diagnosis to differentiate between the V2K and the uh, mental disorder, fire him and go find a specialist who can. Do it until you find your answer, unless you want to have another Robert card on your head. That's my take. If I can add to that, Len, that the forms, you know, the, the information we've been collecting has been reflecting that at about 66% of targeted individuals have V2K. So if if we assume there's at least 400,000 in the United States, we're talking about at least 265,000 people with V2K. So are is the psychiatry uh profession, you know, a specialization, educating themselves about this torture, and because it's a patented torture that the United States has acknowledged it uses in a warfare. And so you have to ask the question if, if psychiatrists are being responsible in their execution of their profession, of their medical profession, and not misdiagnosing people with psychosis, when it really, I, I mean, you're a doctor, so you know more. I know about the legal ethics. You as a doctor know about the professional ethics of a doctor. But don't they have a duty when they're doing this diagnosis to really be, a, a, I know what what is really going on out there? What To what extent they have a duty to for that differentiation and to know about this is public information public documents out there about this torture. Uh, I, I was mentioning to you before that the there was the lady that ran her car into the White House when Obama was president. Her sister said that she was hearing voices from Obama, Obama talking to her in her voice just called telling her, please come save me. I'm in, I am in danger. And that's why she drove her car into the White House gates and she got shot and killed. 
Okay. So, so I, I ask you, what is the, you know, where does you differentiate between what is being taught to them in schools and what is out there that is happening, you know, like targeted program, the B2K and MANK Ultra? I have to give you uh, this example. A lot of people say, do not go to psychiatrists. Obviously, I did, and we we differentiated my, in my case, that it's not a mental disorder. Uh, so this is a technology. So don't tell me that, that it's impossible. It is possible. You have to find a psychiatrist who is, who thinks outside the box, who is not going to say, oh, this is not my area of expertise. Well, it's happening in my brain. It, it is an area of your expertise. The psychiatrist can say, well, I can only treat and diagnose mental disorder. This is not a mental disorder. Therefore, I have nothing to do with it. That is a bad attitude. I do not like doctors who take that stance. And this is not fair. And this is not, doesn't correspond with the with the oath they took, the Hippocratic oath. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to the doctor that diagnoses somebody as psychotic, schizophrenic, because they don't, because they haven't done the work of, of like you say, thinking of outside the box and, and seeing what is going on. That's what I'm talking about. People that are put in mental hospitals and diagnosed as schizophrenic when they are really victims of voiceless call torture. That's what I'm talking about. Right. But are they doing it knowing, knowingly? intentionally or are they doing it because they're just ignorant and they don't want to learn things outside of their specialty because you know as you know ignorance is not an excuse so which scenario are you talking about well i'm talking about the the professional responsibility of clearly this person he, he's hearing voices but i mean it, it doesn't match for example, it's he's a 40-year-old and it doesn't match the other 10 characteristics that come along schizophrenia, for example. And so what I'm saying is it, there is a professional duty to look beyond on hearing voices. That's what I'm saying. Because attorneys have a professional duty also to look beyond what the case has said, what the statutes say. You know, you have to explore all avenues. That's all I'm saying. And, and of course, you know, the, the professional uh, boards of psychiatry have to start explaining, but then again, we don't know how much the deep state will allow that, explaining and giving seminars on this to psychiatrists so that they are ready for these 265,000 at least Americans, 265,000 that have this condition. It's not a hundred, it's not a thousand, it's a lot of people. You know, and, and, and they should start preparing psychiatrists to receive these patients. Absolutely. They need to know how to diagnose it. They need to know how to rehabilitate this, these patients because this is reality. This is a group of people that need help. But it goes beyond just the professionals. Imagine if somebody in Robert uh, Card's surrounding knew about V2K. How would it, do you think it would make a difference? They would point him to 
targeted justice to all the information that this is technology, that this is not your neighbors at that cornhole place that he uh, liked to visit. And he, he thought that the people are talking behind his back. I, no matter what you say, I mean, I grieve people who uh, were victims of this shooting, but I also grieve Robert Card because no matter what you think, if you think he was a victim of a mental illness, then he's a victim. If he's a victim of a highly sophisticated PSYOP that included V2K, he's also a victim of it. And it's not just V2K. People have no imagination how sophisticated it is. It's not just the voices. It's the messaging and they control your emotional status. So they control all your sensory input. This is so much more than just voices. This is much more sophisticated. They literally take control of his decisions. And in that case, who is really guilty in the death of the 18 people? Robert Card was an instrument, but he was not, you know, it did not come from his mind. The murder of these people did not come from his mind. There are other individuals that were involved in these murders and they have to pay for it. Particularly the victims of these crimes. You know, Robert Carr probably didn't have much to it, to his name. So who is going to pay for, for their damages, for their suffering, for their anguish? Not that that's going to bring back their, their loved ones, but I'm saying they probably can't sue or or, or it'll be an exercise in futility to sue Robert Card's um, estate. However, there are people behind that, those crimes. There are entities, government entities, that have plenty of deep pockets to pay for the damage that Robert Card carried out, not out, out of his own volition. And that's what I say. Those victims have a means of redress. And I know that the government criminals don't like what I'm saying because they're attacking my nose right now. Mm. But it's okay. We, you're used to that, right? Every day. <laughs> it's like it's like going to work. But I, I also want to celebrate that the fact that we are talking about, the, the people are learning about it, about the fact that V2K exists. And Don, my friend Don, is a perfect example, somebody who I befriended, whom I educated about the targeting program. Now, when he, he hears about a shooter who heard voices, the first thing he does, he sends me an email and says, look, this is truly really happening. So yes, what we're doing is working. So let's celebrate that. That's today's show. And I want to hear from you, Anna. Give us some words of wisdom. Send us off until the next episode. I really want to, this, this, this is a little bit off the subject, but I want to encourage everybody to shield themselves from these attacks. Their water is the best shield. And the reason why I can wake up and walk and talk and do what I do is because I, I shield with water a lot. If only you saw how I, I sleep, 
you'd laugh because it's, you know, it, it looks ridiculous, but it works. And if you don't shield, you are just, you know, letting all the attacks come to you. So please shield with water, protect your head, protect your heart. Always, if you can, wear some water bag in front of your heart because we are we are winning this war uh, and because truth and justice cannot be curtailed any longer. But in the meantime, you have to, arm, you know, put your armor and protect yourself from these attacks that are, you know, uh, warfare, that are military-grade attacks. So just protect yourself so that we can all celebrate our freedom soon. Thank you, Anna. As for me, I'm calling the show Tricks and Traps, a phrase I heard from you, Anna while describing your legal ordeal. It's not enough that we have the most challenging legal case to fight against the forces whose power is beyond imaginable. And on top of that, we're getting a differential treatment from a judge whose job is to treat plaintiff's complaints fairly. I've been holding back after we discussed 22 false and misleading statements in the dismissal order. I held back after I learned that our request to look up our names in the TSDB, the terror screen database, was denied without any sufficient reasoning while it was allowed in similar cases. I held back after our motions were not entertained in a timely manner. But when I learned that when Judge Lee Rosenthal, and I'm just going to address you directly from now on, because you carry personal responsibility here. When I learned that under your judicial watch, the case was transferred to the U.S. Court of Appeals without the phrase official and individual capacity defendants. And it was just dropped, omitted, without any explanation a reason my blood started boiling. Judge Lee Rosenthal, you have done everything in your power to hinder the process of justice for a group of law-abiding citizens whose fundamental constitutional rights have been taken away. You, Judge Lee Rosenthal, do not deserve to spend your retirement years taking your grandchildren to the zoo. That's reserved for us law-abiding citizens whose rights you do not appear to respect. I think you deserve to spend your retirement years at the zoo, also known as federal prison. I'm making my personal position known and I'm not holding and I'm not hiding behind procedural maneuvers or conspiring behind the closed doors. This is what I think of you, Judge Lee Rosenthal. Until we, former targeted individuals, can take our grandchildren to the zoo without being microwaved mercilessly, without being exposed to V2K, without our brain activity being manipulated, and without being constantly surveilled and exposed to the most detestable form of street theater. Without all those things that you, Judge Lee Rosenthal, in your willful ignorance called fantastical and bizarre, will be here every Sunday. Rain 
Osheim.